Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on, that, on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are? With authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. 
And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Thanks, Johnny. Keep your Bibles open, everyone. Hello, quick plug before we get cracking. Um, this, these two books are available at the back. This one is the book that goes with the previous series we did about chasing things. It's called a Time, Time for Everything. Uh, I'll just recommend that to you. It's got a new cover, um, but it's just really good. So I recommend that to you. That's 10 books at the back. This one, this is the book that goes with this preaching series we're doing and the, the start of Luke, Luke well, part one, read, mark, learn, 12 books at the back. Um, especially if you're in a home group, I'd really, really recommend that to you. It's very clear, really helpful. Okay? Plugging over. Let's pray. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we've got Jesus' words um, written down for us really accurately here. Um, please speak to us through them. Please help us to listen. Please, um, as I preach, please let only be heard what you want to be heard and um, hit home what you want to hit home. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So I was having to think, apart from Dino, if there's any famous Adelaideans, okay? Any really famous people from Adelaide? Slim pickings. I mean, there's Rupert Murdoch's first paper was here. Well, you probably don't really want to brag about that one, do you? Um, what about Jimmy Barnes? Now, I hate to break it to you, but precisely nobody outside of Australia has heard of Cold Chisel. I'm sorry about it. It's just, he's not that famous. I'm sorry. But there's, there are some, and there's um, Sia. So if you're youngish, you might know who Sia is. She's like a very, very successful musician, songwriter, worldwide famous. Uh, if you don't know who she is, it's because your finger's not on the pulse. You're just not cool. And uh, uh, Leighton Hewitt. Sure, we've all heard Leighton Hewitt. Yeah? No? Come on. Him? Yeah. Uh, there's loads of famous people from where I'm from, Manchester in England, and there's loads of famous people from there. There is. There's loads. I'll ask me after all. Name you some. Um, but lots of you will have heard of a band called Oasis, um, Wonderwall, famous song. They're from the very same suburb as me. Um, to prove it, my, bro- my brother lived around the corner fr- from me in, in Burnage, we're from, and one Christmas, just before Oasis broke, that, broke up, they'd come to to see the mum, and my brother took this picture. Noel Gallagher, walking down the street in Burnage. <laughs> Why Styles are rich and famous? You can ask Sharon what she knows about Liam Gallagher. That's another story. <laughs> but we kind of feel a sort of an affinity, a sort of, a bit of a pride, don't we, when, when our, our hometowners do well. Because we can all find out a lot that's wrong with our hometown. I can tell you a lot that's wrong with Burnage. But if they can do all right, despite that, there's hope for us. Well, today we're going to look at the occasion when Jesus returned to his hometown. By now, he's a bit of a local celebrity. And they're trying to work out, his his hometown are trying to work out if he really is a good thing to come out of Nazareth. To work out if he's worth following. But we're beginning the series, so first, briefly, some context. So we're looking at this Gospel of Luke. Now, uh, if you turn back to the beginning of Luke, chapter 1, verse 1, we don't have to guess why Luke's written this Gospel, because he tells us what to expect. It's like the preface of a modern book. So, 
Many have undertaken, he says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So that's the headline already. We're going to look out for things from the Old Testament that are being fulfilled in Luke's gospel all the way through. Carrying on. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know with know the certainty of the things you're being taught. So in other words, Luke's done the whole investigative journalism thing. He's checked the facts, he's spoken to the eyewitnesses. So that's why Luke's gospel is full of historical date markers, and it's why the narratives have always got odd details, the kind of stuff that you'd only know if you were there. And he's written all this down so that his mate Theophilus can be certain. And that's the slant we find all the way through Luke's gospel. Uh, We're told things about Jesus and what he gets up to so that we can be certain about Jesus. Uh, so we're beginning chapter 4, verse 14. So in chapters 1 to 4, Jesus has already been, he's been introduced as the real historical figure. Uh, as the Christ, God's promised anointed one, who's come to bring us God's long-promised salvation. And we found out that Jesus has come to rescue us into peace with God. So that means, that peace with God, that means knowing the forgiveness of sins as we turn to God in repentance. That's a real thumbnail sketch. You could, we could do 10 weeks on chapters 1 to 4. Have a read yourself of it. Um, this term we're going to go up to the end of chapter 9, because that's the, sort of the turning point, the sort of halfway point of Luke's gospel, as Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. Well, here we are today, chapter 4, uh, which is the start of a chunk of Jesus' teaching uh, in and around synagogues. And so... You often get this in the, this kind of summary statement that sums up the bits that's to come. Um, verse 14 and 15 in chapter 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So Jesus is the local hero now, famous. Everyone's talking about him. He's gone viral, Okay. And you can just imagine him turning up in Nazareth. Now, in England, there's a show called Songs of Praise. Has it been on the telly here? Yeah, it's basically people singing hymns on telly. That's just, and these churches on the telly, they're always packed out to the rafters. And people sing along with these dreadful, pious faces. Yeah, extra, I'm on the telly singing, boys. And I always imagine the vicar of these churches, like he's trying to be pleased that Suddenly his church is very full and everyone's there. But inside he's really irked that his church is suddenly much fuller just because the telly's there. And I reckon that's how probably the local rabbi in Jesus' synagogue in Nazareth would have felt with this homeboy coming back to town. There's an outline in leaflets there. Um, First we get, first of all, Jesus' good news to the poor. Jesus' good news to the poor. So this is Jesus' manifesto. Now, many fastos have got a bit of a bad name now because it tends to be what politicians say they're going to do and don't do. But this manifesto, it's Jesus' statement of intent. Jesus is telling us what his ministry is going to be all about. 
So the synagogue's packed out. Jesus is handed the scroll. They don't have books, they have scrolls. Handed the scroll. Silence falls. He unrolls it and he seems to be looking for a particular part. And then he reads. It's written down for us in verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What Jesus has just read out there is from, in our Bibles there, is Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And what it is, it's, if you remember when we did Isaiah, it's the central part of the sort of central part of Isaiah's final section where, where God's warrior king, whose conquering rule brings salvation, speaks. So this local boy turned famous preacher, the one everyone's talking about, has picked out this passage. Why? What's Jesus on about? It, it's really important that we understand these words, as they were meant to be understood, as they stand in Isaiah. We've got to recognize that this is a quote from Isaiah and interpret it through that lens. So in the book of Isaiah, particularly this bit of, the, of Isaiah being read out, the poor, the poor almost always refers to the poverty or affliction that God's inflicted on his people in judgment. So the captives... The blind and oppressed, the poor, are God's people in captivity in Babylon as a result of them rejecting God. So this isn't about the socioeconomically poor. The, the poor, the blind, the prisoners, the oppressed, these are all talking about people living under God's judgment. Now, of course, God cares about the poor and the marginalized. Uh, in fact, not caring about them is one of the things that Israel was condemned for. Um, Isaiah one seventeen says, commands them, God commands them, learn to do what is to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, please plead the case of the widow. And God's heart for the powerless and the marginalised runs it runs through the whole fabric of Israelite law. But so the poor are important to God, but that's socioeconomically poor are important to God, but that's not who's being talked about here. Um, to give you, to help you get your head around it, there's loads of songs about infant children, isn't there? Lots of songs about the sort of three, around the under ones. So, for example, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Baby, I Love Your Way. Run, Baby, Run. Hit Me, Baby, One More Time. Now, no one really thinks that those are about infants, do they? We, we, we know the context. If it's in a pop song, um, we know that baby just means your romantic interest. Uh, and I've never heard anyone say it outside of the song. Ben, I think you should try calling Sarah baby tonight and see how you go. But, you see, right, it's a different context makes the word mean a different thing. 
So to hear Jesus say he's come to bring economic and social equality, it's to take Isaiah's prophecy out of context and to change the meaning. So what is it saying? So Jesus' ministry is going to be about proclaiming the good news of God's grace to those of us, all of us, who are poor in that we are under God's judgment for rejecting him. So those who are blind, 2 Corinthians 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. Those of us who are prisoners, oppressed, John 8, 34, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. In proclaiming these words, Jesus is proclaiming a message of grace for those under judgment. So you see verse 19, the year of the Lord's favour. So, so God's care for the poor was in the fabric of God's law that he gave to Israel. And every seven years, debts were cancelled, slaves were free. Every seven years. Remarkable. But more than that, in God's law is that after seven cycles of seven, in the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, the reset button gets pressed. Everyone, not only were debts cancelled and slaves free, everyone's returned to their original family allocation of land. All debts cancelled, all slaves free. There's no real estate moguls, there's no wealth going to the 1%. What kind of society would that make? What kind of equality would that bring, I wonder? Well, we'll never know because it never happened. God's people never did it. I mean, can you imagine the rich... And the powerful letting go of what they've accumulated over 50 years. But Jesus is saying, God's going to do for you what you wouldn't do for each other. Jesus is saying that he's come to rescue, rescue us from our sin and cancel our debt. So at first, the crowd are on Jesus' side, verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But he also caused great offence, our second point, the offence of Jesus' proclamation. So the people of Nazareth, the gathered throng, all listening to Jesus, they take offence at who is offering this message of grace? And they take offence at who is offering this message of grace to. So they take offence at who is offering this message of grace. Because Jesus doesn't just read this prophecy out and leave it at that. This, re- this really important bit of Isaiah, verse 20, after he'd read it out, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and then sat down. In the synagogue, people would sit down to preach. Maybe we'll try it. Sit down to preach rather than standing up. So they're expecting him to preach. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I've been blown away in reading the Bible and, and in sermons, how scriptures, you can see in the Bible... Things that have already been fulfilled, they get fulfilled in the Bible. It's amazing. And I've been blown away and completely amazed by the great hope 
an assurance we have from many of the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. But imagine turning up here today at Trinity Bay and your favorite verse in the Bible actually gets fulfilled before your very eyes. That's what's going on here. One of God's major plot twists happening in Naf old Nazareth in dusty old Galilee and by one of their own. And the reaction, I suppose, isn't surprising. Verse 22. Isn't this Joseph's son? I knew him and he still had spots. He fixed my creaky bathroom door once. And soon, oh, look who it is. Soon, that turns into, who does he think he is? After all, Jesus is claiming, in the hearing of everyone there, to be God's warrior king. To be the one, the very person who's come to bring God's long-promised salvation. I mean, what a claim. But Jesus is no fool. He knows this is going to be hard to swallow. Verse 24, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. So Jesus' hometown, they're offended that it's Joseph's lad offering this grace. And they're offended at who he's offering this grace to. So in verses 25 to 28, he gives a couple of examples from the Old Testament. And you can chase them through couple of examples of how God surprisingly shows miraculous grace to Israel's enemies. Jesus is pointing out that God is free to give his grace to whoever he wants to. See, Jesus hasn't come to be tactful. He's come to proclaim a message. And in Galilee, which had always been surrounded by her enemies for centuries, currently under Roman occupation... Well, this went down like a lead balloon. And to make it worse, Jesus has stopped his reading at a crucial point. So, quick quiz, a quote quiz, okay? Let's see if you can finish these quotes. Better to have loved and lost than to... Very good, St. Augustine. Necessity is the mother of invention, Plato. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask JFK. And one for the nerds. You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? It's the ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12, one voice at the back, 12 past six, thank you. (laughs) That's on Star Wars for the oblivious. Okay, Isaiah 61 2 is on the screen. Let's read this out together. To proclaim, is it? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Vengeance. From the Nazarene's point of view, Jesus has missed out the best bit about God taking vengeance on all his enemies. What Jesus is saying, the time for vengeance is not yet here. But the time for God's grace has arrived. There's a window of opportunity. And it's a window of opportunity that we're still living in today. Where those who respond to God's anointed one, those who respond to Jesus, can be set free by God's grace. But Jesus' hometown, like any good angry mob, 
try to throw him off a cliff. But Jesus remains unharmed. Nothing can stop his mission of proclamation. So let's look now at our third point in your outlines, the power of Jesus' proclamation. And we're looking at verses 31 to 41 here. And what we see is that Jesus' word has absolute power to heal and forgive. Jesus' word has absolute power to heal and to forgive. Because if Jesus is just the new kid, the latest popular teacher, if he really is just Joseph and Mary's lad, made good, then the crowd are, are right to be angry with him, aren't they? I mean, who does he think he is? And maybe that's where you are today. Who does Jesus think he is? Who do these Christians think he is? But if he is the real deal, and that's what Luke's writing this gospel to try and convince us of, that Jesus is the real deal. If he really is fulfilling scripture, then he really is good news. He really can set us free. So in verses 31 to 41, Luke shows us how Jesus puts his money where his mouth is. He proves his claims about himself. So notice in these verses the emphasis on the power and the authority of Jesus' words. So in verses 31 and 32, he teaches with authority. Verses 33 to 35, an evil spirit identifies Jesus, challenges his authority. Jesus asserts his authority and power. Verses 38 to 39, with Simon's mum, he doesn't just heal sickness, he rebukes the sickness. And she's not just a bit better, she's completely well. And then verse 40, Jesus heals everyone with all kinds of sickness. Power, authority. But two strands run through Luke's gospel. People and evil spirits resist and reject Jesus. And Jesus shows all authority, all power. What he says happens. Just think about um, when you were at school. And think of the two extremes of teachers. I had Mrs. Jones, who spent the whole class yelling. And we all just sort of ignored her and did our own thing and messed about anyway. But then there was Mr. Gilligan. He just walk in, never raise his voice above conversation level, and they'd all fall silent and fall into line. He had authority. And Jesus takes us to the extremes, the divine extreme. He can amaze whole congregations with his authority. He can silence demons and tell them to nick off. He can rebuke sickness and it disappears. And we'll see next week in chapter 5, he can meet our deepest need, our need that determines how we spend eternity. He can forgive our sins. What power, what authority. This is who we've signed up to following today. We aren't just following a good man with good ideas. Following Jesus is following the only one with power and authority to change lives and rescue us from sin. That's why we promised to pray in our commissioning bit earlier on. We promised to pray. We can influence, we can persuade, we can proclaim, we can do our bit. But Jesus is the one who transforms people 
by his spirit. And it can transform anyone. Which brings us to our final section, where we're going to look at the priority of Jesus' proclamation. The priority of Jesus' proclamation. Jesus' absolute priority was proclaiming God's word. His absolute priority was proclaiming God's word. So we saw in verse 18 that he sets out his store, what his ministry is going to be about. That it's going to be about proclaiming, proclaiming good news, proclaiming freedom, sight for the blind, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. He says he's the one anointed by God to proclaim these things. Now, at this point in the story, if you're Jesus' campaign manager, overall, you'd be pretty pleased. Now, okay, his hometown have tried to push him off a cliff. But on the whole, it's going pretty well. People are amazed by his authority in teaching. Demons are being cast out. All kinds of diseases are being healed. And so you'd probably be expecting Jesus to want to carry on with more of the same. Or maybe even something more spectacular. So what does Jesus do? Verse 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So Jesus resists hanging about doing a temporary fix in just one town or just one region or just one country or even in just one lifetime. Jesus' priority is announcing that in him, the kingdom of God has arrived. That is why he was sent. And that is what the world needs. The world needs Jesus who can fix our ultimate need rescuing us into right relationship with God. I wonder, how do you think God speaks to us today? And how do you think he acts in the world? Because what you think about that will, will affect how you do life, how you do church, how you try and follow Jesus. But what do you think Jesus' priority was? Jesus' agenda is the spoken word. He's come to declare by speaking words his coming to rescue sinners. It's through his words and words of scripture fulfilled through him that evil is driven back and that we're rescued back into right relationship with God. It's through God's word in the Bible by his spirit that he most usually and most powerfully speaks to us and transforms us. So that's why we promised earlier on in the commissioning to read our Bible. It's it's why our services, our songs are are grounded in the Bible. It's why we usually end each service with the scripture. It's why we preach through whole books, letting God's word set the agenda. It's why we encourage everyone to be studying the Bible in a growth group. Um, It's why, like at Carol's, we could get more bums on seats if we left that awkward Bible bit out. But what would be the point, really? Proclaiming God's word was Jesus' priority. So it's our priority. Confident that God's words have power and authority to change lives. 
So let's draw together what we've learned from God's word and think about how we apply this to our lives as we set off following Jesus, finding life in him for another year. Okay. So first, Jesus is all about proclaiming that in him, God's grace has arrived to free us from slavery to sin. God's son, his anointed warrior king, turns up in person, in history, with power and authority to do anything, anything he wants. And what does he do? He prioritizes letting us know that if we follow him, we're set free from the judgment we deserve and our sins are forgiven. So it's really good that you've committed to trust and follow him in his strength today. And if you never have, well, maybe today's the day. You'll you'll never get a better offer. Second, we shouldn't be surprised that people are offended by Jesus and by the grace he offers. But we should proclaim him anyway. Because Jesus is the real deal who can really can set people free and transform lives. And we should expect to be surprised by who God gives his grace to as the most unexpected respond in repentance and faith. Nobody is too hard for God to save. And third, we should keep making the reading and proclaiming of God's word our priority because it was Jesus' priority. So reading through a gospel with someone is one of the most eternally significant, one of the most powerful things you can do in this life. Persevering in your quiet time, reading your Bible regularly. It might not feel like it when you're feeling tired and you don't want to get up. But it's ground zero for God working in and through you. So follow Jesus. Hear his words of grace proclaimed to you. Proclaim Jesus' words to others, knowing that they have the power and authority of God. And make knowing and sharing God's life-giving words in the Bible, your priority, just as they were Jesus's. We've got a chance to respond in song in a moment, but I'll pray for us as the musos come up. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for sending your mighty warrior king to love and serve us, to proclaim your good news of your kingdom come. Thank you that he gave up his life for us, even while we're still enemies, so that we can find forgiveness of sins and be made right with you. As we go into this year, uh, please help us to have Jesus' priority of your word. And may we please help us as we proclaim that word, and may you work through it with your power and authority. We ask all these things for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen.